Hey everybody, good morning. Hey, welcome to worship today. It's great to be with you. Uh, if this is your first time at Faith Community Church, a special welcome to you this morning. We know it takes a lot to walk into new places like this, and we really are honored to have you today. Well, we're continuing or kind of wrapping up a series, as Tim Porter mentioned already, in the, the New Testament book of Hebrews. And we've been teaching through this letter for a long time, several months since March or April. And way, way back, if you, I don't know if you would remember this far back, uh, but the, our first week in Hebrews, I said there are a couple of things that make this book really, really incredible. One of them is that Hebrews teaches us in a really unique way to read our whole Bibles as one story that leads to Jesus. And I hope you've seen that over the last few months. The other thing that I love about Hebrews and that I hope has come through in the last few weeks is that Hebrews challenges our notions about what is really real and what is really happening. So we tend as people to wrestle with questions like, you know, is there uh, really a spiritual reality out there? Is there anything beyond what we can see? And if there is, then what is happening just on the other side of this physical and spiritual divide? And what I love about Hebrews is part of what it does is comes along and says, uh, or it gives us this perspective uh, that it, you know, it really it's this world that is the shadow, not that one. Uh, this world is the one that's fleeting and temporary and passing and dying. Our lives here are the ones that, you know, are fleeting like mist. We can empirically prove that. And so why would we think uh, that this is the more real reality? And Hebrews, in a sense, takes us through the curtain uh, to, to a, you know, kind of peek at, at what's on the other side to say this is what has really happened in the resurrection and the death of Jesus. And it does it in such a way as to say, you know, if you could just see what is really happening and what really happened at the cross of Jesus, you would never, ever be tempted to trade him away for this worldly, physical, tangible, temporary human religion. You would be cured for all time of your love for religion if you could just understand what is really going on. Remember, uh, if you've been here, that Hebrews was written to people who are considering a return to Judaism, a return to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And one of the advantages of religion uh, is that it's often very tangible. It's full of things we can see and touch and feel and hear. The other advantage of religion is that it appeals so much to our pride. It just appeals so much to this human need to have something to boast in. Um, we've just sung, you know, just five minutes ago about how Jesus has paid it all and that we owe everything to Jesus. And I'm going to assert that pretty strongly today in our teaching time, in the scripture reading today. And I bet you'll notice if you pay attention to what's going on internally, as soon as you hear some of these things, 
something in your heart is going to want to say, oh, but I, I have faith, or I, you know, I, I've done thus or such, and, and that's why I'm saved, that's why I'm part of the kingdom of God. And I, I would just say, what is it about us that has this need to say I've, I've done something? It's a deeply religious way of thinking. Now, we've been through nine really incredible and really dense chapters in this book of Hebrews. And uh, they've been all about highlighting the greatness of Jesus over everything. Okay, so if this is your very first time here, here's what you've missed. You have to get to Jesus. Jesus is just greater than every other thing. And next week, the tone of the letter is going to change a little bit. Okay, so it's still going to be pretty otherworldly and things like that, but it is going to get more practical to say, okay, if this is what's really going on, then this is how we live in response. This is what faith lived out in light of the gospel really, really looks like. And I'm excited to get, get there with you, but first, one more week. where We're gonna wrap up this main body of the letter to the Hebrews uh, about the greatness of Jesus, okay? So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, you can follow along in a Bible uh, or on your phones. If you want to borrow a Bible from under the chairs in front of you, we'll be on page 1006, 1006, okay? Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 1, and this will be on the screen as well, says this. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, that's the sacrifices, in order to establish the second, that is the will of God. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified." And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, 
This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you just look at verse 1 with me real quick, just a reminder, uh, religion again, it says, is just a shadowy imitation. Okay, it can never, by the same sacrifices offered year after year after year, make perfect those who draw near. If you've been around this summer, I would hope that verses 1 through 4 sound really, really repetitive. Uh, This is the third or fourth or fifth time that the author of Hebrews has talked about this, that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That's verse 4. He does ask an interesting question in verse 2. He says, in effect, if all of these sacrifices poured out could have, would have actually worked, uh, wouldn't they have put themselves out of business? You know, if, if they really had managed to cleanse people of sin, why would anybody have needed to keep coming back? When we talk about, well, let me, let me say that wherever you find worshipers repeating and repeating and repeating the same religious exercises again and again and again, you know that you have stumbled into a religious context where they have replaced the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus with something else. This is one of the themes of the scripture reading, this repetition, 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 this constant reminder of sin is not actually dealing with it. So when, when, we, when he talks about having, verse two, having no consciousness of sins, He's just saying that there really are people who draw near to God with no sense of guilt at all. That is an amazing thought. This is one of the most striking things about everything that we've read today. That according to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 2, it is, I'm going to say normative or it's normal for Christians to walk through life without a guilty conscience. I wonder if that's you today. Another way to say it negatively would be walking around with a sense of your own sinfulness is an Old Testament religious way to live your life. And I just wonder how many people here, don't raise your hand, but how many people here walked in today, will go home today, have walked through your week, with a, with a tangible sense of your own cleanness before God. This is not a denial, by the way, of the, the, the reality of indwelling sin. This is not a denial that Christians continue to wrestle with sin throughout their lives. It doesn't mean that we may not continue to grieve things that we've done in the past or even to experience the consequences of things that we've done in the past. All he's saying when he says that, you know, that people who've been cleansed have no consciousness of sin, is that none of that rests on the conscience 
in a guilty way as we draw near to God. So I've used this example before, but remember religion is I've done wrong, I've sinned, uh, I've fallen short in some way, dad is going to kill me. The gospel is I've done wrong, I've sinned, I've fallen short in some way, I've got to find dad. He'll know what to do. Two totally different ways of approaching God. It really is possible, according to Hebrews 10, to walk through life with an abiding sense of God's delight and his pleasure in you. Not just his pity, okay? Not just his toleration, but a, a sense of genuine delight in you. Now, you may say to yourself, well, those must be really remarkable Christians. I say, no, I, I don't think so. What we're talking about are just people who have gotten their heads around what has really happened in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And that's what Hebrews is here to help us see. So in verse five, in light of this failure of religion and its repetitive over and over sacrifice, it says, consequently, meaning for that reason, when Christ came into the world, he said, and then you'll see, if you have your Bibles open or on your phone or whatever, you see the scripture is offset and has quotation marks around it. Well, this is a quote from Psalm chapter 40. This, is a, this was written a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, and the author of Hebrews takes Psalm 40 and says, actually, not only is this about Jesus, but this represents kind of the spirit of, of what he was thinking and how he was feeling as he came into the world or as he prepared for his incarnation. It's an incredible thought, but he says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Now, just a little trivia, a little Psalm 40 trivia. Psalm 40 is actually one of the burnt offering psalms. Okay, so the author of Hebrews knows exactly what he is doing here. This is one of the, the songs that the priests sang as they went to make the offering. They would sing about how God, God doesn't really want this. Here we go. You know, it's like, we, the, you know, if you've ever read your Bibles and thought, did they understand, like, this is not the whole deal and this is not going to be effective and all? Yeah, they did. They literally sang about its inadequacy as they went to do it. So the, the Bible really is one story that leads to Jesus, okay? And in these verses, this is what just blows my mind. We're being allowed a window into the counsels of God the Father and God the Son before the foundations of the world in eternity past. And we are meant, as we listen in, to kind of see the Son looking out over the arc of human history and looking out over all the religions of the world and all you know, the endless, endless repetition of sacrifices and to hear him saying, Father, I know this is not what you want. So a body you have prepared for me, and I am going to go and give you what you want. I, am going, I have come to do 
your will. I want you to notice in everything that we've read today that the actor, the initiator of all of this stuff is God the Father. When it, so the, the will is one of the most repeated words here. It's talking about the will of God. The will of God drives this whole process, everything happening in salvation. So in verse 9, Jesus, speaking from the Psalms, is saying, Behold, I've come to do your will. He's speaking to the Father. And then verse 10, it's by that will, it's by the will of the Father that we have been sanctified through the offering of Jesus. Here's the same thing in the Gospel of John, okay? In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 38, the Lord Jesus says, For I have not come down from heaven, or for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of who? Of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up at the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What is the will of the Father that the Son has, has, been, has put on a human nature like ours to come and do? It's the salvation of sinners. One of the reasons that a Christian is able to walk through her life, walk through his life, with an abiding sense of God's favor, of God's pleasure, is, is because in coming to Jesus, it's not like you are pulling a fast one on the universe, okay? Like you're a dirty, rotten sinner, but hey, here's an escape hatch. I made it! To be a Christian is to be at the center of something that God is doing. And something, honestly, that God takes tremendous delight in. Ephesians chapter 1 is another one of those chapters where we just get this incredible uh, insight into what's really going on in the world. And three times in Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about how the, the mystery of God's will has been revealed. This is his purpose to bring all things together in Jesus to the praise of God's glory, to the praise of his glory. God is not a begrudging, like he's not upset about saving you. It's his pleasure and his delight to do that. So I can walk through my day, even in the midst of indwelling sin and in the midst of knowing I'm not yet all I was created to be, a Christian, a Christian can walk through his day with an abiding sense of God's delight because to be a Christian is to be caught up by the grace of God in something that is way older than you can imagine. It is way deeper than you can imagine. It is far greater than we can imagine. And, and you did not do that. Okay, to be a Christian is to be caught up in the eternal will of God. The delight of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit moving toward an incomprehensibly great future. And we did not do this. It is the work of God from beginning to end. And if, if, that's, if that's your understanding of what's really going on, I mean, how pathetic 
and silly does religion look? Well, I, I brought this goat, you know, here, here you, it's like, no. Uh, none of this depends on my strength, my effort, my productivity, or my awesomeness. If you look at verse 11, he drives the point home even more firmly. Verse 11, he says, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly, again, the same sacrifices which never take away sin. We've talked about this before, but there is, in the, in the old sacrificial system, there was no chair in the temple. Priests never sat down in God's presence. If you are a religious person, you need to hustle, okay? There's a lot to get done, but, verse 12, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Those, some of those phrases, some of those words, these are the kinds of things that should just jump off the page at people who are resting in the love of God for all time, verse 12. He sat down, verse 12. He has perfected, uh, verse 13. Perfected those who are being sanctified. There in verse 14, we get a window into this really interesting dynamic at work in the gospel of grace. Jesus has perfected for all time, past tense, those who are being sanctified, present tense right now. So there's this dynamic. This is the other thing about religion uh, that it has going for it. It's usually really simple, <laughs> okay? Usually pretty black and white. I do good and God loves me and he might bless me. I do bad and it doesn't go so well. But here in the gospel, is this really profound dynamic that in Jesus I have been perfected, not just for today, but for how long, everybody? All time. And at the same time, there's an acknowledgement in the same sentence that I'm being, I'm in the midst of a process. The delight of your Father is not rooted in your strength or weakness from any given day. It does not come and go like the waves of the sea. If you have put your faith in the blood of Jesus, then you have been spiritually united with him and all your sin, past, present, and future, was laid on him at the cross and put to death and all of his righteousness and goodness. Everything, all of his yeses to God's will is given to you legally, permanently, truly. And we did not do that. It has nothing to do with anything good or bad that we have done. It is a gift that we receive as God's people. 
And at some point, a Christian just has to, I mean, if you could really see this from God's perspective, at some point, the Christian just has to say, okay, I have been caught up in something so beyond my capability, so beyond my strength, something that God is doing because it is his pleasure to do so, I am going to let God be God. And I am gonna, I'm gonna believe him. I'm just gonna rest in everything that Jesus has done for me. There's more in verse 15. It's not just what Jesus has done for me. It is what he is doing in me right now. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness. And then he quotes the prophet Jeremiah again. This is the covenant I will make with them. This is the promise God makes to his people. I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sin and their lawless deeds no more. <laughs> so what we're getting a window into here is it's the will of God the Father to save sinners that is driving everything. It's the obedience of the Son that makes all this possible. And now we can add, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that makes all of this alive to our hearts. This is what you've been caught up in. This is what God is doing. So our reading began today with this comment in verse three about how religion is just a continual reminder of how far you fall short and you're never gonna make it, you're never gonna make it. Whereas the gospel comes along and verse 17 says, I'll remember your sin no more. There are two kinds of people that sit in Christian churches. There are those who say, this is, this is salvation, okay? This is Christianity. I'm gonna honor God. I'm gonna emulate Jesus. I'm gonna read my Bible. I'm gonna go to church. I'm gonna love my family. I'm gonna love my spouse. I'm gonna put it all together, and one day I'm gonna bring it to God and say, here you go. Look, behold what I have wrought, you know? And then there's another a kind of person, one who knows that the Bible teaches exactly the opposite, a Christian is someone who knows uh, on some level you have to come to grips with I am a person who has been taken hold of by the grace of God. I've been swept up by God into something so utterly beyond my strength, so incredibly awesome that the idea of creating my own salvation package is insane and silly. It's like offering a goat. And I, I'm just not going to do that. These are two completely different ways of approaching God. And one of them will produce the most unhappy Christian people. For religion to work, you either have to have a God so small that you can get away with it, but you're bored to death, or you find yourself crushed under the weight of trying to perform for him. The, the worst kind of guilt in the world is to be religious but not actually a Christian. The worst kind of guilt to carry is to be religious but not actually be a Christian and to, to gather week after week and to hear how you have to be honest and you need to be unselfish and you have to be so good and you need to love your neighbor and you need to love your enemy and you need to love your spouse and sometimes those are the same people and you need to love your kids and it doesn't matter what, it's just, it's never enough. 
And so you just keep sacrificing, you keep offering, and on and on it goes. There is another completely different way to approach God. And that is to say, I know, I know, I know that I know that my priest, my king, my sacrifice, my brother, my savior is seated at the right hand of God and has made me perfect for all time. And even as I am working out my salvation, even as I am growing and learning, I, I can feel his pleasure. I can feel it. I don't, I don't know, you know, don't raise your hands. How many of you have children that are a problem? How many of you have children that are just less than perfect? How many of you are children that are less than perfect? Now you can raise your hand. How many of you have a child, though, who is less than perfect, but you see that they want to please you? They want to do it right. Is your heart like, come back when you got it together? Is that what you do? Oh, no, you're like, oh, keep going, man. I know you're going to get there. See, the, the thing, so here's a little biology lesson for everybody. Kids, your parents would love to explain this when you get home. The moment, this, this is the metaphor scripture gives us for understanding Christian maturity. The moment egg meets sperm, boom! Life, is, life begins. There's a person there. He can't do squat. Okay? And it's a long, long time before he's even interesting, okay? But he's still a person. <laughs> and and this, this thing, this life, it, it begins a process that is unstoppable. It, that person is going to grow and grow and eat you out of your house, you know, and become a fully functioning human being. So it is with the life of the Spirit in his people. I will write my laws on their hearts and I will write my laws on their minds. I will finish what I begin. And, it, and he delights even in your process. You can feel and experience and know his pleasure. This is why all of this matters this week, okay? Because next week, we're beginning a new series in the next verse where the, the tone of Hebrews is gonna change for nine chapters We've been wading through this incredibly dense theological stuff where there's hardly been a single command. Over and over, the message has just been, hold on to Jesus, hold on to Jesus, hold fast, cling to him. Don't, even if you're holding on by your fingernails, just keep holding on because he's awesome and he's greater than everything else, okay? Beginning next week, there's some stuff it's gonna tell you to do. Actually, every week, for a while. We're gonna tell you things you gotta do. And if you come at the next series as a religious person, you are gonna have a tough two months, okay? <laughs> you're gonna hate me, you're gonna hate the church, you're gonna hate the book, okay? Because every week it's going to be, so if this is what is really happening, this is how you're called to live. And if your heart is religious, if it hasn't actually seen what God has done in Jesus, you are just gonna feel the condemnation. Do you know what we're talking about next week? 
so fun. We're going to be talking about God's invitation to you to draw near. One of the first questions I'm going to ask is, do you just love meeting with God in prayer and scripture and coming to worship? And it's just the condemnation is just going to flow. <laughs> if, if you have not got your heart around, the Father delights in me. Because he delights in the Son, he delights in his own power, his own glory, he delights in me even in my process. I'm not gonna condemn you next week, but you should come back, okay? <laughs> but that's why this matters. And I won't even tell you what's coming the week after that, and the week after that, it's gonna get worse, okay? <laughs> Two completely different ways to approach the living God, to know that you are delighted in and received simply because you have been united to the Son by faith, or trying to put together your own salvation package to present. I wanna wrap up our series this way. This is the first thing we read together a few months ago. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels and every other spiritual messenger and every worldly religion, having become as much greater than they are as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. In this series, we've talked about Jesus as the full and final word of God. He is the full revelation of God. He's the eternal son of God. He is the true rest of God that your heart is longing for. He is the founder of our salvation, our brother, our captain, our king, our great high priest, the mediator of a new covenant, and he is seated at this moment at the right hand of the Father on your behalf. And all that came before Jesus and everything that has come since are just shadows, but Jesus is the thing they point to. He is just greater. He is greater, and you have to get to Jesus. You have to get to him. So this is my question as we close the series. Are you in the Son? Are you trusting today in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sin and the hope of eternal life? As you reflect on the condition of your own heart, is there within you a genuine desire to please God? Do you see him at work in your life? I'm not saying perfectly, but I'm saying is there within you something outside of you working to draw you nearer and nearer to Jesus. Are you in the Son? It is the only question that ultimately matters. If you're here today and you recognize, you know, as we're talking, you just, you've just become aware 
you know, actually, I, I have been trusting in my performance. Actually, I have been putting together my own salvation package to bring to God. And you're recognizing right now, that is not going to work. The door is open to you. We're going to take some time to pray right now. If you're here this morning and maybe a friend invited you or you're watching online or something like that and you're just at a place where you're like, I don't even, I don't know anything about Jesus. I just have like 15 questions. You have come to the right place. I would encourage you to seek Jesus and to find answers to those questions. Let me give you just one minute right now before we sing to bring yourself before the Lord and to reaffirm God sincerely with, with all my heart I really am trusting Jesus. I thank you for his blood shed on the cross. And with all my heart, I do want to please you. Let's do that right now. Father in heaven, thank you for the blood of Jesus. We ask together today for the gift of faith and an ability to see what has really been done. God, would you strip away every other hope and help us to walk in the knowledge and the sense of your delight and your pleasure to know that only because of your son we are clean father for those who are just asking questions for those who've become aware of a religious heart today show mercy speak in ways that we can understand and give new life in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.